BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ... How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. From 1995 to 2011, Scott Klumpenstein played trumpet as well as backing vocals and some other instruments for Real Big Fish. However, a lot of Real Big Fish fans probably remember Scott as the guy who'd banter with Aaron Barrett on stage. The two shared great comedic chemistry. Scott also wrote some of Real Big Fish's most beloved, albeit obscure tracks like Drunk Again and Average Man. He currently fronts the Littlest Man Band, which he started in the early 2000s, and then reformed in 2018. You know, I've never actually seen Real Big Fish. No, that's not true. I have seen Real Big Fish. Damn. But I've also seen Scott's other band, The Littlest Man Band. Yeah? Several times, yeah. Several times. What'd you think? They're great. I, I, it's funny, though, because I brought it up to him that I saw him play a set where he was just playing piano and by himself. He had no recollection. <laughs> Maybe I just made that up. Maybe. So before we go to the episode, we should also mention that um, there's a GoFundMe out there for Scott. Yeah. So Scott announced that he's dealing with health issues. Lyme disease specifically. Yeah. Yes. So anything you contribute helps. Um, We should have universal health care, but we don't. So please help Scott out. We'll have a link in the episode notes. Yeah, and Lyme disease is very complicated. It takes years to diagnose in many cases. And the reason this costs so much money is because at this stage, because it takes so long, he can't use his insurance. So he has to work with specialists. And it's a long, hard road back to like full health once you get to this stage. And the reason he's at this stage is because it's so hard to diagnose. You know, catch 22. So give what you can. He'll appreciate it. I thought it'd be fun to start with talking about Pick It Up, Scott in the 90s documentary. Oh, yeah. You had a you had an interesting role in that film. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things where you, when, <laughs> when Taylor hit me up about it and then he came to New York uh, where I was living at the time to do the interview. 
the interviews, I, I guess I didn't like in my brain, two things went through my brain. One is it's like, I don't know why I was, didn't expect much from the documentary. I was like, yeah, you know, I feel like, you know, <laughs> whenever Scott tries to get like some like notoriety and stuff like that, like it just, for some reason, it never like, it never, I don't know. It just never comes across in the way that you're, we're like, oh yeah, that really hits home. Uh, uh, and, and maybe that's just my own, like, you know, a uh, redheaded stepchild mentality of like the things that I, you know, that I care about. I'm like, no one ever cares about things I love. Um, but, um, <laughs> and then, and then it was when I finally saw it to have been such a, a, a large part of it. Like, I mean, I thought I'd like get one cool thing. I thought I'd they'd show like a, you know, young me, like uh, uh, emaciated and, and happy. And then, um, and then me on the, on, on, on uh, the building. And I figured that would be it. I did not expect to keep seeing my, my dumb face pop up here and there. And then more things that I said, it's just weird. I got it. It's always just weird. You know, because like my, you know, I'm like, you know, I did that interview and then I fought two little girls just to try to get him to go to bed on time. Uh, so, you know, it's not like in your mind, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty important. You're just like, oh, <laughs> come on, please just go to bed. I want to play video games. I can't do it while you're awake. Was it his idea to have you uh, ask people on the, in Times Square if they what they knew about ska? Yeah, he was he was very like he's like I don't know if you'd be down for this. I was like, oh no, this sounds like a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. And we shot a lot of it. Like I think on the DVD itself, you can see like some of the stuff that didn't make it in. Um, and it was yeah, I mean we I th a couple hours we did it in front of um, a comic book store, and then we did it in Times Square, and it was it was a lot of fun. Was anyone outright hostile or weird? <laughs> no, I mean New York's a funny place. Like people ex kind of expect some some weirdness, but I I I, I don't think I come across necessarily uh, threatening. Yeah, or for sure. uh, or or uh, you know, people gen uh, they like oh this this poor can I curse on this thing? Yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, can I this poor fucker? Um, and so yeah, <laughs> most people are just like all either they were just like I don't even know what words you're saying, or then it's all like yeah I remember Scott, but nobody was like get that out of my face because we had to get him to sign a thing first, right? Oh, okay. It was like hey we want to do this if you have the time, and they're like sure I've got the time, and gotcha. it was like okay cool here sign this before we even get started because there were some people where it's like oh yeah I'll talk and they're like well fill out this you know, this consent form. And they're like, oh, oh no, I'm gone. I'm good. And they just yeah. walked off and you're like, oh, now I, now I really want to talk to that person. Yeah. That's a good way to weed out the hostility or the, or the absolute weirdos. Right. But I feel like those would be the people that like would probably, they'd probably derail it, but yeah. we'd have a different documentary on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, we'll follow up with you later. I imagine people go to Times Square and they kind of expect or hope perhaps that they're going to get in a tv show or a documentary because so many shows have that component to it where they're you know whether it's like billy in the street or impractical jokers or whatever it's like sure or you know pick it up on the 90s yeah yeah I any one of those three most new yorkers avoid 
uh, Times Square as much as they possibly can, unless they're going to like something specific, like you know, um, yeah, you know, I I avoided it at all cost. I was like, let's go around, <laughs> you know, I don't need to go to the M M&M and M store. <laughs> Did you have a favorite response, whether it was in the movie or not, that you got from somebody? Oh, I think there was that cat who was just like he just started dropping knowledge. You know, I mean, ska. Um, Scott got gets a lot of respect in New York. I mean, there's there's a there's a a certain mentality of like, and you could kind of pick people out that were like like I can't remember the dude was just like I can't remember even what he he said, but I feel like he was talking about the specials and madness. But then he even mentioned the slackers, I think, and like, um, yeah. I mean, it was anytime you had somebody who was dropping knowledge, you were like, oh. Okay, because a lot of people were like, "Oh, I know, no doubt." And yeah. we're like, "Well, they started playing ska and and weird funkiness," um, and so people be like, "Oh, so that's kind of it." It's like, yeah, horns. It's like the predecessor to reggae, you know. And they're like, oh, "Okay." Wasn't there somebody who uh, mentioned Real Big Fish but didn't know who you were? Yes, and I, <laughs> yeah, they were like, "Oh, that band, Real Big Fish." I was like, "Yeah," uh? <laughs> and they were like, "It was like, no." And I was like, oh, well, okay, you know. Um, and it's like at that point, too, I had not been, I had been off, been off the road, I think, for a good couple of years. So it was weird to be like, all, oh, yeah, I, I did a thing and people uh, uh, care about it. And, and, uh, and I, I've been, what we like to say in Real Big Fish is slightly well known. Slightly have, well known. Yeah. I have been slightly well known. <laughs> I don't like the word famous. That's a ridiculous word, you know. Um uh but slightly well known. Yeah. I could, you know, I, I that's the kind of thing you can say when you go to a, like a cocktail party. Saying you're famous puts uh, images in people's heads that are not necessarily true, but being slightly well known means oh, you did something that people all over the world, but you could still probably you're probably still broke. And that that would be real. So yes. Well, and I and I feel like a lot of people know the name, yeah, Real Big Fish, but probably couldn't pick most of you out of a lineup. No, because no, we were never on a cereal box. That would have helped. <laughs> a cereal box, or if we had some sort of like sports cream endorsement, or if we got our own Nikes or something. But yeah, just never, never came around. Or your own children's TV show. Yeah, our own children's TV show. I mean, I'm still waiting for, you know, people from New Balance to hit me up. But You were featured on a a 1998 issue of Popstar as the hottest guys of 1998, though. That's that again. That's a that's that's bananas. (laughs) So, I mean, famous, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? You know, it's like, I mean, this is something that I constantly do with my children. It's they they they. My my kids, my eldest just discovered South Park. She's never watched it, but she knows what it is. And she's like, she's like, Dad, do you know South Park? I was like, Oh yeah. Well, you know, I was in a movie with the Matt and Trey, who who are the creators of South Park, and her mouth just drops open and goes, What? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, the Matt and Trey for South Park. Yeah. She's like, and all of a sudden I become cool for like half a second. And then, you know, and then I'm like, and is your homework done? She's like, oh, dad. So I blow that cred all the way. All the, you know. 
I want to talk a little bit about your uh, acting career, um, specifically uh, your acting career in the We Are the Union videos that you've done. Oh, yeah. Those are fun. I like it's yeah, they call uh, 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 generally either Reed calls me or or Chris Grau calls me and says, hey, are you busy? And I'm very rarely uh, busy. I'm busy in weird ways. <laughs> what, what sort of weird ways are you busy, Scott? Well, I mean, so like today I spent most of today, like I spent a lot of time studying um and uh, uh and then rehearsing and writing and and uh and doing stuff and doing stuff for my twitch show and 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 all sorts of things and then taking care of my kids too sure but um you know yeah i've got some some new uh tunes that are coming out and we're doing some more recordings and stuff like that so it's like it's when i'm the i'm the boss but mm-hmm. i think the boss is an a hole so i'll just do whatever i want <laughs> You know, and do your kids have like uh, after school activities you have to take them to? Uh, some, t- yeah. There's karate, uh-huh. um, uh, for my youngest, uh, and then my eldest takes like art classes, and mm. so yeah, we take them to those things, and um, yeah, and then I joke around with the people there, which right. I think is is relatively distracting, but or I go get myself a cookie. Ooh, what type of cookie? Oh, it depends. I'm a big sweet treat fan. You got to treat yourself. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, you get a little peanut butter chocolate situation or uh, there's this place called Crumble that uh, is a little hit or miss for me. I, I think their sugar to salt content isn't uh, the. I don't like the way they balance their butter, their sugar and their salt content in their cookies. Right. They could have a higher salt content mm. and probably use a grass fed. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 dairy, but that's just me. I'm a cookie snob. I kind of think they're a little too thick. Like it starts to yeah. feel like we're pulling yeah. away from cookie and we're getting into a a different cake. cake. Yeah, yeah, like a cakey cookie. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I, I get. Like people don't want the hard cookie, right? But like, let's not let's not mince words. Like the 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 the, the soft batch cookie was a fine thing because it was small. Yeah. You know, when you go soft batch and it's too big, then you lose a certain kind of uh, textural integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think the cookie is responsible for delivering. It, that's just my own personal opinion. <laughs> Adam, uh, what did you, what, what activities did you deliver your kids to before this podcast? Uh, Boy Scouts and Aikido. Oh, nice. And tomorrow we have Ninja Warrior. And yesterday we had, uh, a youth presentation of Taming of the Shrew. Wait, like legit Ninja Warrior, like the TV show, like no, it's, it's it's just oh. parkour. Oh, okay, <laughs> I was like, a, but they give it a cool name so the boys don't feel weird about being in a gymnastics gym. Yeah, I was like, that sounds uh, that sounds like something I'd be into. I do yeah, like a sure. I do six mile walks every day, and okay. they're they're not as entertaining. As mm-hmm. maybe a Ninja Warrior workout, but um, you get a lot of podcasting done, which I think you don't probably wouldn't get with Ninja Warrior. Mike Parks claims to walk uh, 10 miles a day and listens yeah. to podcasts. Do you think you listen to more podcasts than Mike Park? Or I'm not competing with Mike Park in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> oh, I'm putting you two in competition right now. Um, no, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is okay, so uh, a couple months ago, mm-hmm. I had. Vic Ruggiero from the Slackers um, on my 
Twitch stream and mm-hmm. Vic and I had never met. So like um, we met at a, at a show that happened at this place called club three, one, three that Mike from bite me Bambi uh, 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 owns and runs. And so he and Chris Murray were playing a gig there. And so I went, I was like, well, I got to go see Chris. And then I should probably meet Vic. And some and like Vic and I met for the first time and somebody was standing right there and they're like, how is this the first time you two have ever met? And <laughs> and Vic was like, ah, we just uh, we just roll in different circles. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I figured that was just Vic's really nice way of saying, like, I don't know if our two bands would have complimented each other. Um, um, you know, I mean, real big fish. I, I mean, like if you're a Slackers fan. You may not enjoy Real Big Fish necessarily. I think mm-hmm. all Real Big Fish fans would definitely enjoy the Slackers. I think you know, but um, if uh, you know, we we they're the, some of the traditional uh, we we don't appeal to, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's the same. Like I don't I don't think I've seen or spoken to Mike since we played a show together. Uh, like decades ago real big fish opened up for kiss and then we drove from that show to go (laughs) play a show in riverside with skank and pickle (laughs) you opened for kiss yeah we opened for kiss um at this place called irvine meadows which i think now is called you know it's probably it's called the uh, Jeffrey Bezos ego dome or something. <laughs> Who knows? But um, I hope they're not sponsors of the show. And so, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it was like we went from playing to this like fourteen thousand seat shed, you know, and people being like, "What is happening here?" Uh, with everybody in kiss makeup, and then we and then we just played went and played a good old you know good old fashioned uh, uh, Inland Empire ska show. Wait, same day or different days? Same day amazing love it but i don't think i've seen mike since then so it would be i mean i we've we haven't come into contact as grown men he's a grown he's a grown man i'm a grown child (laughs) i look at mike and i'm like wow that guy's somehow a grown-up and awesome and then i'm like well i'm just just a fucking (laughs) ding-doing so if you compare the kiss show to that skank and pickle ska show which show do you think you uh, won over more fans? Oh God, that's a good question. You know, um, I think we have a, I think we had a certain appeal with maybe the Kiss fans. I, I mean, know. there was, there, well, I think they, they probably could, uh, I don't know, they could smell the, uh, the glam rock influence. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the poison, the CC Deville esque uh, uh, guitar playing. So they probably were like. I don't know what the rest of this is, but there's something about the way that that guy shreds. So I think we did. I think we did just fine, but it's a little bit, you know, potato, potato, column A, column B, you know, mm-hmm. who's to say, who's to say. And that was, and that was just an opening slot. It wasn't like a big festival. No. Yeah. They were just playing and somehow they, we, we open. I don't know. There's a picture of there's a picture of us all in front of like the four. They have these giant inflatable figures of the four guys from Kiss, uh-huh. and it's then all seven of us at that time uh, standing in front of that, like kind of mocking some of the poses and doing our own poses because uh, we were just like, "What are we doing here?" 
Um, you know, I mean, that was, that was very often real big fishes. Like that was just our experience. We're like, what are we doing here? Um, you know, like, uh, we were on Donnie and Marie and we were like, what are we doing here? How did that go? By the way? I mean, it went great. Donnie and Marie, I will say they did bicker. Oh yeah. How, how much? A lot. I feel like they did not get along that day. But we had a great time, and you know, uh, I just saw the footage recently, and I was like, "Oh, I love that that cardigan." Um, but uh, yeah, you know, there was a lot of time. We played a show in Germany once that was at a thing. So there's these two sister festivals. Uh, one's called Rock and Ring, and one's called Rock and Park. And we showed up. Uh, we were doing Rock and Ring first, and then we did Rock and Park. And Rock and Ring, for some reason, they put us on this uh, metal stage, like new metal stage. So we were scheduled to go on after Static X. Oh, nice. And then before Power Man 5000. (laughs) So we were standing there with our horns and getting ready to go. And we're in a tent, right? With 5,000 drunk, screaming German metal fans. And we're like, well, it's been very nice working with you. Uh, (laughs) If we live through this, it will be a miracle. And so, I mean, we opened the show with like Scott Tannic and then we went into everything is cool. And then we did say 10 and then we did, you know, hate you and fuck yourself. I mean, we did all the, like everything we could think of that a bunch of metal heads would be like, And we got off the stage and, I mean, we had won them over. They had a great time. Um, Maybe they were so drunk they don't even know what happened. But uh, (laughs) we lived to to fight another day, which was often the case. I don't think we died once. (laughs) That's impressive. Did you watch Power Man 5000 set? No, I think I went and I like uh, was so nervous and I was like, so, uh, I think I went and threw up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I had no desire. That guy's like somewhere between West Borland and Guile from Street Fighter. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, um, I'm more of a, you know, I'm more of a Tekken guy than a than a Street Fighter guy. <laughs> The We Are the Union video, you're dead. Oh, yeah, you were talking stuff. about the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Aaron just goes right back to the question. Yeah, we got it's an important uh piece of information we have to talk about. Yeah, yeah, no, I get tangential, it's a real problem. My it's I'm all about it, please. No, no, it's not, it's not a problem. Take all the tangents you like, it's the bane of my wife's existence. It's <laughs> you should see when I argue, we wind up in quantum theory and all sorts of stuff, and she's like, This does not get the dishes washed. <laughs> And I'm like, fair enough. I want to talk about Brent Friedman told me that it was the first time he met you on that shoot as the drummer of We Are The Union. And then 10 minutes later, you killed him. Uh, Yeah, I prefer meeting people that way. Uh, That way they can't say anything uh, good or bad about me. It's I just keep I keep my mystique. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I had I mean, I had met Reed. Um, through, uh, through Goldfinger and through, uh, John Graber, uh-huh. uh, and Chris Grau. And then that, that's, that's John Graber in the banana costume in that 
yes. video, right? Okay. Yeah, so many banana costumes. Or just, I think it's just one banana costume and so many Jay Graves. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, he shows up as a banana. Uh, I mean, I think normally if you just call him, he'll show up as a banana. <laughs> um, but uh, everybody's got their own uh, fetish. But uh, yeah, I mean, I had I don't think I had met any of those cats. And then it was just like, you're just going to kill everybody. And I was like, oh, sounds good. Nice to meet everybody. But we were, it was such a bizarre situation to begin with because we go into somebody's home, right? Mm-hmm. This whole thing takes place in someone's home whose home looks like that. Like, yeah, she's just got a real vibe at her home. Very nice woman. She's a very talented artist. But, you know, she's got like a whole wall mural of some Hieronym of the her, that famous Hieronymus Bausch um, uh, painting uh, in the Garden of Good and Evil. Is that is that the one? Um, yes, but. Like yeah, but or the Garden of Earthly Delights. Yeah. Yes. And so the whole wall is that painting. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then she's got a wall in the kitchen that is this like smoky kind of black and white photo. And you're like, and it takes up the whole wall. And you're like, how did you get a picture of Beelzebub? Because it <laughs> looks like the devil. It looks like somebody was like uh got a like paparazzi shot of the devil and it's uh creepy, terrifying and yet you couldn't stop looking at it. Like I lo- I realized there were like times where I was like I've been staring at this thing for 10 minutes and I feel like I'm drifting away. Um <laughs> and so many like great vinyl collection but just these little things and like crystal spells set up all over the place. And so, and then you go into the kitchen and it was like very cute. The kitchen was cute, like just spices and things and nothing really dark in the kitchen. The kitchen was Mm -hmm. actually very cozy and like, you know, maybe looks like the place that, you know, your Nana moves into when she like divorces your Papa and, you know, like he's (laughs) like in the trailer, but she's got like this nice little apartment with like a kitchenette. Um, I'm maybe I'm talking uh, too autobiographical, but, um, and then, uh, but you, everybody gets it. Uh, but then the rest of the house is like darkness. Um, and so with that, I felt like we were all kind of having the same experience, um, of going like, what the doinks is going on? Where are we? Um, plus then we had to get it done, but they're such nice, they're such nice, uh, 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 people that I was like, you know, uh, you know, and it was, I'd been, uh, uh, COVID-y, right. I'd been in, uh, well, quarantine not covid but so I was just like, oh, people, this is fun. Was that one of your first things going out to do, uh, post COVID? Yeah, kind of. I mean. I'm trying to think when we did that, because I moved back to Southern California in July of 2020. And I feel like that was that was that that may have been October or November, maybe September of 2020. I don't know. Or maybe it was 2021. I have no idea. My sense of time is all wackadoodle. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, the. The film, the recording of Average Man was released before, so I don't know if you did that before. Again, I got no clue. I, I would have to look. It's, the whole thing is kind of a blur. Um, 
you know, and mixed in with such a, a wonderful trauma that me, my, my, my therapist and I are unraveling it all. Uh, you know, and the medication takes care of a lot of what, what just can't be solved by, uh, by humankind. So, uh, you know, it's like, it, it happened. I don't need to know when I'm just, you know, today's the best I'll look going forward. So, you know, well, that's, we're good. The recording of average man. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So this is a, this is a real big fish song, uh, I think it was just on it, just on the, like the European or Japanese release of Cheer Up. I don't think it was even. Yeah, it was only on the Japanese release. And um, so when I came back, like we were trying to figure out how to do more releases. And we got, you know, I had recorded uh, these two songs, uh, Welcome to New York and The Hilarious. And we released those. And um and then G Scott, my manager, G Scott Barrett, um, was like, "Well, what else do you have?" And I was like, "Well, that doesn't need to be finished writ right, uh, like that has a bit of form to it." And we were talking, and then we realized somebody was like, "Hey, Average Man's not available for streaming anywhere." Hmm. And I was like, "Well, that doesn't seem right, especially since I'm relatively proud of that song." So then we called up John Graber. And we said, hey, let's do this. And he's like, okay. And so, I mean, it came together fairly quickly. Uh, I showed up one day and did all of the pianos. Uh, and then as we were listening down to all the finished pianos, uh, John Graber was like, hey, what do you think? Who are you thinking about bass? And I was like, or drums. And I was like, I don't know. I got a few people I'm thinking about asking. He's like, well, I got a friend named Kenny Schwartz who could be here probably pretty quickly and would be down to do it. And I was like, okay, is he affordable? He's like, yeah, he's affordable. And I was like, okay. And so he called up his friend, Kenny, and Kenny showed up and heard the tune. And he's like, oh, okay, I got it. And then Kenny went in and did three awesome takes. And then while we're listening back to Kenny's third take, John went, Hey, what are you thinking about bass? And I was like, I don't know. I was, I, I was thinking about some people. He's like, cause I got this guy named Kevin Perez, who's a pretty great bass player. And I was like, Oh, I was like, do you think he'd be able to do it? And so John Graber hits the talk back button and goes, Hey, Schwartz. He says, what? He says, do you think Kenny, you think KP could do this? And, and Kenny was like, Oh, Kevin Perez is going to play on this. And he's like, yep. And he's like, okay, let me take one more take. And actually the fourth take that Kenny did is what you hear. Mm. Like he just full on pedal to the metal. He added so much more in. It was almost front to back, no edits. That was all Kenny's fourth take. Kenny is a, is a monster. And then, and it was just like, I was like, why were you holding all of that back? That's crazy town. And so then we got Kevin Perez in there and Kevin Perez came and laid down bass and just crushed it. And I was like, do this. And he's like, oh, that's a great idea. And what if I did this like that? And I was like, that's an even, that's a great idea too. And so we kind of did it like that. And then, yeah, it was like, that was the first day. The first day was piano, uh, bass and drums. And then we went in another day for all the vocals and, uh, and the, and guitars, and then the third day we went in and we did all the horns. Uh, and then we mixed it. So it was, yeah, four days. But it was just like, there was no, I mean, and then, you know, I was like, oh, I want to do this middle part a little differently. And they were like, oh, cool, we'll do that. And 
Um, I don't, my thing is this, and it's not a popular uh, uh, way of looking at things. It's, it's again, it, it's uh, confounding to my wife and loved ones. I don't make a lot of plans. I don't plan things out. I like to take <laughs> the moment as it is and just go, sure. Uh, and it generally leads me to interesting places. But um, yeah, I, th- I think if you, you know, I, I embrace the chaos. I think uh-huh. the chaos is the mm-hmm. only true thing. And, uh, you know, I'm not a person who actually believes in the idea of uh, security or stability. I think those are uh, farces uh, 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 f- uh, fed to us by a Western culture. Mm-hmm. Sorry, was that where were we heading? I don't know. That was sorry. That was a tan- again. That was tangential. I was trying to tell you to do the dishes. <laughs> That's this is often the the, yeah, the conversation. I want to talk about average man. Uh, the original average man. What's the, why did the average man only make it on the Japanese version? Why wasn't it on the main album or like a major release for a real big fish? Um, we so in making cheer up. We had, um, you know, we were starting to work with a new label. Um, we had had so many promises of what was going to be possible with why do they rock so hard? Um, and we really like threw the kitchen sink at why do they rock so hard? And we, the long, the short story for what, all went, transpired was it's like just the business, like kind of uh, the, the business gets, especially at that time. I mean, I think it's a different business nowadays. And so, but at that time, it's like people would promise you things and then change their mind or the, things would get political and the artists oftentimes would get caught in the mix. And it's like, Hey, this isn't our fight. Like, please like this is this is our livelihood this is our hopes and dreams we just want to make art for people and like just let us do it so i mean we took the pre-production process pardon the alliteration uh for for cheer up really seriously i mean we were i think we were locked away in our studio space for almost anywhere from six to nine months i can't remember how long like five days a week, eight hours a day, writing, record. I mean, and there were so many songs that came out of that process. Um, and we didn't want, there just wasn't, we couldn't throw everything at that record. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there were kind of back and forths with the label of what they wanted the record to be like and how we wanted the record. And so it was like, a little bit of it is like, okay, we'll play ball with you if you play ball with us. And, you know, it's, it's, it was just something that didn't find a place on the record, which is weird. Cause if you listen to that record, it's still insane. I mean, like welcome to New York is on there, <laughs> you know, which is a funny, like, I'm like, how did that, which was a lot of fun to do. I mean, Aaron and I had a blast. That was actually Carlos's first recording session with the band. He sat there going, he sat there going and like pounding on his chest. Um, And I was like, oh, thanks, Carlos. Thanks for coming in. And he's like, that's that. That's my first recording uh, uh, 
recording session with the band. I was like, yep, you didn't even get to play the drums, but you were perfect. <laughs> uh, and he was like, great, I'm going to love this gig. Uh, but but yeah, it just it just didn't. Uh, we couldn't find a place for it that made sense for us and the label. And we're like, well, you know, it, I guess it was just to genre bending or who knows it's definitely like it definitely i mean sounds different than what people think of as real big fish but i've yeah. seen many people talk about it being one of their favorite songs yeah i mean it's it's a, i think on its own it makes a lot of sense and it's a good song i mean so but this happens so often um i'm i'm friends with the guys in um in the local natives and on their first record gorilla manor they had this song that was incredible, like amazing. And there's like horns on it. And it's so dope and it's fun. And it's like, woo! like I love it. And I listen to it often. It's in, in some of my mixes, but it never got released. It never made it onto the record because of the fact that it just didn't make sense tonally. And it kind of took a, too much of a left turn. And it's like, that's just the the way it goes sometimes. And some people do, you know, uh, B-side records and some people don't. I mean, I'm I'm a big Radiohead fan and some of my favorite tunes are Radiohead B-sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to get the singles or, I mean, nowadays, who knows what a single, no one knows what a single is, but um, <laughs> they're like, oh, what? Um, but yeah, I mean, or, you know, and some of the things that we wrote for Cheer Up made it onto later records, mm-hmm. you know? And it was that kind of thing that made me, it was stuff like writing both drunk again and average man that went, Oh, I've got to, I've got to find a different outlet for this sort of like uh, direction that, that, that my writing is taking. And that's when I made uh, the littlest man band. I see. But yeah. Now with drunk again, um, what I read was that your, your producer Valgarie, Val Gurry asked you if you wrote songs and you said that you did sometimes. And then he yeah. said he needed, he needed a ballad and you just came the next day with that song. Well, it was a Friday. And so Val said, Hey, uh, could you, you know, he's he'd heard my project, a project I did called pal, which was like, I don't know, Beatles, Fugazi, Sonic youth, beach boys kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and he's like, he's like, can you write a ballad for the record? We need one. And I was like, sure. And so I went home and took the weekend and that weekend I wrote five songs, one of which was average man. Mm. Um, uh, but none of them were what I wanted and none of them sounded quite right. And so Monday morning, then I woke up and while I was making coffee and having, uh, having a drink, um, (laughs) <laughs> to be fair. Um, and uh, uh, I had a, I had a morning cocktail that I would make, which is, uh, is an embarrassing amount of alcohol for anyone to be drinking in the morning. Um, hey, what was this cocktail? No, no skipping over it. We need to know. Okay. So it was in a very large beer stein and it would be two shot, three shots of espresso, Godiva white chocolate liqueur, uh, Kahlua, uh, brandy, 
And then, oh, there was something else in there. I can't remember. Oh, creme de mint. And then, um, <laughs> and I would, I would drink about two of those. <laughs> <laughs> and so while I was waiting to get picked up to go to rehearsal, because I didn't drive, obviously. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, so I sat down to my piano, uh, at the time and I honestly, the song just wrote itself that morning. And then I took it, then I took it to the band. Like it just, it, as long as it takes to play it, I wrote it. Wow. Yeah. But I was in, I was in a place like that was because I had written so much and like little parts of the other things that I had written were were parts, things that I liked. And like all five of those tunes, minus what wound up being um, Average Man, kind of culminated into making what wound up being that morning drunk. Interesting. It just was like a jigsaw puzzle that kind of clicked in my head. I, there's definitely plenty of Real Big Fish songs that have uh, bummer lyrics, but uh, sure. Drunk yeah. Again might be pretty high on that list. Yeah, it's not uplifting. Yeah, I had a woman tell. I had a woman told tell me once she thought it was the uh, the song was hilarious. <laughs> really, and I was like, okay. I was like, that's real strange because that's a that's a hard one for me. And I was like, but if you got something funny out of it, c- congrats. Uh, you know, I mean, that's kind of the way it goes. Is like as soon as you write something, it's it's no longer yours. It belongs to other people, and so the interpretation of it is none of my business. Did she say what was funny about it? No, I did not follow up with questions. I just went, cool, I'm going to walk away because it stings. It stings a little, you know, I was like, you bear your soul and something like that. You know, I mean, I had a pretty serious drinking problem. And so, uh, you know, it was just one of those things where you're like, oh, oh, you got really honest. And like, it was a little bit of a cry for help to myself. And uh, and then somebody goes, that song is hilarious. And like I look back and I'm like, maybe she was kidding, but I have a very clear memory and she was not. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, you know, potato, potato again, different strokes, different folks. Wow. That's weird. I mean, that record's not really funny. Like that's like, that's the thing that's strange is like everything before cheer up. I think the, the dark lyrics were mixed with humor more overtly where I feel like there's so many songs on cheer up where there's no, there's no humor. It's just pretty straightforward. I mean, it, the, the music still generally sounds uplifting, but yeah. lyrically there's not really a sarcastic element with, with a lot of those songs. No, I mean, we were kind of in, it was, a, we were in a tough spot. Like the, you know, it's that thing where it's like, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And we, the fact that, you know, we released Why Do They Rock So Hard, which I mean, I, I still every now and then listen to that record and I'm like, God, I'm so, I'm proud of that record. Mm-hmm. Um, we ha- And we had so much fun making it. Like we had fun as a band. We were like, and, and, uh, you know, with John Avila and I mean, and there were obviously uh, like with any creative work or effort there's always something that's difficult and there's there's you know egos that clash and and things like that but i think for the most part we had a good time making that because we felt like we couldn't do anything wrong and then we put that record out there was some political 
stuff that happened between radio and the record label. Uh, and then there was like, um, you know, the, 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 the radio was all kind of at that point also just kind of turning its back on ska music. Uh, and, you know, we were like, wait, what is happening? And like, things got really weird and, uh, yeah, it's just, things got really stressful and, uh, we had been touring extensively at that time and we were really tired and, um, we were a little tired of each other. I mean, I, I uh, look, I, I know for myself, I will say I'm no picnic to spend a great deal of time with. <laughs> what I heard was that Universal um, asked for a no horns mix of uh, why do they rock so hard? Oh, they may have. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> that sounds accurate. But you guys said fuck off, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, they wanted uh, I mean, they, they wanted one with a, a version of beer with no horns on it. And Aaron was like, we're a horn band like we were a band with horns. You know, um, which is why, like, when it's like you have where have you been? We were like, OK, we will play ball because mm -hmm. live there were horns. And where have you been? Um, I think I don't know. It was a long time ago. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you have to try to make decisions that are going to be beneficial for everybody. And compromise gets thrown out as a bad word but there's some compromise that's fair. That's like, okay, we'll meet you halfway. And then there were some things that we weren't willing to compromise on at all, but we had, we had gotten the brass ring with turn the radio off and seen all of this crazy stuff happening, which we didn't have a moment to appreciate because it all goes by so fast. Like I remember we, I was, we, uh, I was just talking with Chris Demakis. And we were just talking about, like, we're all so caught up in this thing that went by so fast and, like, crazy that y you don't really have a moment to sit down and go, look at this. This is crazy. You just, it's, you know, you're doing a thing. You're on the road. You come home for a second. You kiss your family and friends uh, uh, as long as your friends are, are, are okay with being kissed. And, um, and then, you know, you go back out on the road or you go back out in, into the studio and... um we were kind of burnt and uh, there was probably some, there was some apprehension on if we were even, if it even made sense for us to write the way we wanted to write um, and how we could kind of rediscover ourselves without going backwards to turn the radio off, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of what that record was. And, I'm very proud of it. There's a lot of really great stuff on that. And I know a lot of people that that's their first real big fish record. Mm -hmm. Um, and which is, to, I mean, it's crazy. Cause again, like, I, Oh, I, I just dinged. Oh, um, but, uh, I don't know if you heard the ding, but I did. I did, I did not hear a ding. No ding. No ding came through for us. It, it was lovely. Uh, but it was my wife saying, are you going to be hungry when you get home? Uh, but I've been eating popcorn all day, so probably not. Uh, but yeah, it, we, I, that was kind of the last time, too, we all wrote in the room together. Oh, really? Yeah. Like everything after that. Well, I guess we did with We're Not Happy Till You're Not Happy. But Aaron came with some pretty finished 
pretty finished stuff. Um, but yeah, it was, we were just trying something new mm-hmm. and there were times too, where Aaron actually, uh, if I'm not, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for Aaron, but he actually, I, as far as I remember, he, he grappled with some of the lyrical content too, of, of those songs, uh, and the stuff we had played before, because he was, it was so negative and so snarky while being so cheerful, mm-hmm. you know? And he was like, oh, you know, like, I, I kind of want to give a positive message, you know, this, I don't start a band, like, and while that's what he was feeling, like, none of that stuff is, some of it's meant sarcastically, but there's always truth with Aaron's stuff. Um that that he started to go like oh like we have a responsibility too to like try to give a positive message just to clarify for people you guys were on mojo and then i think there was a merger happening with jive records this is part of the drama of cheer up right yes yes yeah we went to to jive zomba yeah or zomba jive whichever way the president of jive um was like i maybe didn't appreciate that uh, all this the lyrics on cheer up were so depressing and then Eric Aaron recorded like happy versions of the lyrics and played it for him. Is this story true? I don't know. It's very possible. That is, <laughs> that's, that sounds very Aaron actually. And then as soon as he heard the lyrics flipped to be happy, he understood why they didn't, why they needed to not be happy. Yeah. I mean, I think that he probably did that with a few songs and then showed, I mean, yeah, Zomba Jive didn't know what the heck to do with us. Nobody mm-hmm. has really ever known what the heck to do with us. I mean, ska as a genre is a difficult one for the industry to wrap its brain around to begin with, right? Like, and I think that they were like, oh, it's the happy, fun party band music. But like, none of us wanted to be stuck in that. And it's like, well, that's not all we are. We're also you know, serious musicians who take this art form seriously and want to do some interesting things and like, you know, try things with this opportunity that we have where people are paying us to expand and grow and, and try to have a career. And, uh, and the minute it wasn't like, put it on at a party and just, (laughs) it was like, Oh, well, what do we do with these guys? As it's like, you know, what what do we do with ska music? And it was like, it's not that complicated. I don't know why the industry has such a heart. It's, it ha- it's you know, it's because everybody's got to be put in small little boxes. And that way they know who to sh- shop it to and all that kind of stuff and blah, 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 blah. But um, yeah, I mean, they just, they had no clue what to do with us. And so that's when, and that's actually why they let us go too. Because they realize they're like, we don't know. Just fend, <laughs> just fend for yourselves, guys. And we're like, that's all we've wanted. Just leave us alone. We'll do it ourselves. And we appreciate. I mean, I appreciated the opportunities that J- Zomba Jive gave us, and 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 uh, uh, you know, a lot came from that relationship and and everything that they did. And um, you know, Aaron uh, Aaron got to meet Britney Spears. Um, but um, yeah, it was. It, it just, I, I think, even still, like, what do you do when somebody doesn't fit into a box? 
or into some sort of subcategory genre that you can quantify. It's like, well, get rid of it. I, I guess Cherup's in a weird time too, because Ska's considered dead by the industry. And then absolutely, you guys are pushing, you know, you're expanding. So there's less Ska on the record. It's not like void of Ska though. No. So like, how do you categorize this? And, and I think it gets released in like 2002. Yeah. Something like that. So it's totally a weird time for anything that has a whiff of ska. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, we were, we recognized that we were never a pure ska band, but like ska music meant and means a lot to us. Mm-hmm. So it's like, again, that's part of that, like, uh, trying to expand. And, you know, there were, I mean, on even on Why Do They Rock So Hard, there was some power pop moments mixed with ska music. And, and you know, uh, I think we were just constantly trying to figure out how to stay innovative uh, and, and expressive and as, uh, uh, yeah. I, and still be us as much as we possibly could without, you know, bending over and becoming stooges for these people that to be fair, their job is to make money, right? Like that's what they do. That's their job. They are a business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, great. Well, our job is to make music and to be as authentic about doing so as possible. Because when we do what we do, people show up and have a great time. And then they give their money to you, the business people. And everybody's, we get to keep playing and ha- and and live in a place that maybe doesn't smell bad. And then you get to, to keep growing your thing till it's s- so big that it becomes, you know, whatever, whatever the, whatever the <laughs> fucking goal is, uh, which, you know, there isn't one. It's just a snake that keeps eating its own tail. And, and is, I mean, I won't go into my personal feelings on it but um but yeah it, it it's a hard thing to some bands are really great at it and they make it look really effortless uh but we struggled mm-hmm. a lot with trying to figure out how to navigate our own authenticity staying true to the fans of which our fans covered so many different facets of of life and and uh, uh, genre appreciation, you know, because we got to this point where it's like we got this alternative crowd, we got the ska crowd, we got the punk crowd. I mean, when we started, we weren't punk enough for the punk kids, and we weren't ska enough for the ska kids, and everybody booed us off stage. <laughs> like our first couple tours, we just got booed. Really? Oh my god! Yeah, it was t- it was hard. Who who did you tour with? We toured with uh, our first major tour was the was the one we did with uh, Let's Go Bowling and the Cherry Pop and Daddies, and it started with us opening, and everybody hated us. Oh my god, <laughs> we got booed so hard. I'll never forget uh, New Orleans. Oh my god, New Orleans booed us so hard. Uh, but then we were in like Penn State playing this place called the crowbar uh and sell out the video hit mtv and then everything flipped and people started showing up to the shows to come see us 
And uh, and we and I seriously I feel bad to this to this day. But we had to change the lineup of the show. And we halfway through the tour became the headliners, (laughs) which felt awful. And still to this day feels awful. Those guys, let's go bowling, were like ska gods to us. I mean, it was like such a good band, such good players. I mean, like, I have a special place in my heart always for Paul from Let's Go Bowling. He was just like this like sweet guy to this little kid who was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, you know, <laughs> and they were just like the best. And then all of a sudden it was like managers called and like talked to the tour managers and was like, Hey gang, we're all, we're changing the lineup. And it's like, what? And then these like stupid 19 year old kids had to look at these like mid twenties, late twenties, like seasoned professional touring bands and go sorry <laughs> it was the it was the it was it was such a mix of feelings it was like oh my god i can't believe this is happening and then oh my god i can't believe this is happening <laughs> you know and it's oh my god um but yeah, I mean, we we had to like create kind of our own little thing because, again, not punk enough for punk people, not necessarily always ska enough for ska people. We're not rock enough for rock people, you know, um, but in our hearts, like ska was always the focus was always important to us. It would have been but it would have been inauthentic again for us to be like a straight up strictly like you know, a uh, traditional ska band. And especially like when we, tr- I think there were times where we tried to do it. It was like, well, it still just kind of sounds like us doing it, <laughs> but you know, can I read a quote that I found that you said to MTV in 1999? Oh, I'm sure it's really bad, but yes. Okay. People call us ska punk or whatever. And that's not our deal at all. We're a pop band. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in my defense, uh, uh, I was on a lot of n- narcotics at that time. Uh, but, but I mean, like, that was what we were like. We were trying to, like, we were trying to not necessarily be defined. Because sure, we felt yeah. like, like, we looked at bands like No Doubt, whom we loved, even though we had a falling out and a whole thing and it was a real bummer, but like we felt like the way to be able to continue to play ska music and progress and go on the path that we were was to be like, was to trick people, you know, mm, it sure. was like, cause it was again, like they were like, Oh, don't say ska is a bad thing. And it's like, well, we don't have to say it to you. Um, but it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was kind of just like, it was never going to go. I mean, you know, would you call Fishbone purely a ska band? No. No. Like, yeah. again, like Fishbone was important to us. No doubt was important to us. And these were bands that were ar- arguably ska was wildly important to. Mm-hmm. But like, we came from this place where it was like, 
ska was the foundation upon which we could just like break molds because ska in itself was a mold breaking genre, right? Like it, 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 it somehow exists in its own little space that that's like special uh, and, and, and yet it's still somehow kind of everywhere. I mean, especially in the UK, right? Like you listen to things in the UK and like uh, ska and, and reggae music are hugely, are, are hugely influential in so much music that comes out of the UK, mainly because they take ska and reggae seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, even when when ska was popular, when ska was not popular, it it did definitely seem like people had a hard time grappling with this concept of ska. Yeah, you know, you you, it was a label that, like, once you were in it, you were forever in it. Yeah, Uh, even no doubt, like, who really didn't play ska (laughs) on Tragic Kingdom at all. No, we're just like part of part of the ska wave of the '90s. Well, they had like certain parts, right? Like that first song on Tragic Kingdom has some ska to it. It's right out of the gate. You know, uh, what was how's that tune go? Um, you talking about Spiderweb? Yeah, yeah. Actually, though, what just happened in my head was the beginning of Unyielding Conditioning for some reason. <laughs> um, but uh uh because it's actually that same but i mean yeah i I mean and like part of it is survival tactic and part of it was just like if we don't get put in a box we can do whatever we want which was actually the great lie that we told ourselves and it's like and they still like the industry still like turned his back on us and luckily the the fans didn't and and that was what made all the differences it's like oh okay now now it's more about the fans than it is you know it's us and the fans than like the industry that's propagating some sort of image or or you know some sort of fabricated like packaged uh uh commodity well it it really felt like and i'd love to get your perspective on this it really felt like Real Big Fish came to 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 define ska, U.S. third wave, whatever you want to call it, ska, for the industry, for casual listeners, for this concept of ska being this trend that happened in the 90s. Real Big Fish were one of the just couple of bands that really defined that. And that must have been weird to be put in that position. Yeah, I mean... I don't think I could ever truly quantify that um as a reality, you know? We I just we were we got together with our friends and did a thing and it's like if that's what people feel and think and say then I am I cannot tell you how honored I am to be a part of that. It it actually it it moves me to uh to tears because mm-hmm. all i've ever wanted was to be a part of something beautiful and special and make an impact right like um and as a bunch of kids who just like like you find the ska scene in orange county and it was like oh my gosh these are people who are like me 
and think like me and enjoy things like me and like are just you know like it's like the weirder the funner the 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 better the the more you know you know oh i want to go to a show and dance oh you mean you're gonna go put on a pair of like thrift store slacks and and like you know and and shoes and like you know and go dance and like hope you can go and dance with a girl that what you know it was like so to sit there and or to sit here and 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 be able to wrap my, i mean it, again it, it brings me back to watching um you know pick it up i i got emotional watching that because it's like to have been and continue to be something that was because it was important to me as a kid you know uh fishbone was one of the first bands that i heard as a kid that i was like this is incredible and nobody at my school was listening to it like i stumbled upon fishbone mm-hmm. uh 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 in fact uh tyler jacobs the uh uh no you know every uh people know tyler as pig bat from uh the aquabats it's like he was my best friend in sixth grade and he just happened to get me uh a fishbone uh fishbone record or tape for my birthday and i was like i need to know everything this band has ever done and it was like then it was like getting to high school and there's a scene there's people who play this music and do this thing and and i could do this kind of thing and it was like the first real feeling of belonging uh that i think i ever felt and uh you know and it and so yeah to 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 be able to really comprehend the part that you know me and the guys play in the legacy of this incredibly special music is it's i i don't know that i'll ever be able to grasp it mm-hmm. uh, or 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 accept it even you know what i mean because it's like i think about all the people who 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 did who who did that for me and people who did that for me that that, that were my contemporaries so, you know like less than jake and like uh 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 you know the blue meanies and and uh uh westbound train and and uh you know i mean and again uh uh um uh let's go bowling and hepcat and and i mean then we you know getting to meet all of the people that i worshiped which you know getting to hang out and talk with dave wakeling and be friends with dave and then getting to meet the scatolites and spend time with them and tour with them um I mean, I don't know. It's again, like I to think it's it's so it's it is it's it's weird. That's that's the only way. <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to find the right words just to say, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> and 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 again, eternally grateful, like mm-hmm. to that something that we worked very hard at and cared very deeply for meant something to anyone you know uh i can't remember who said it but it's like it's not how many it's that anyone at all listens and the fact that we were lucky enough that the combination of people who came together at the time when they did with the sounds that we had in our heads and and 
you know, and the support of the people who were around us and, and, and enjoyed us. I mean, it's, we're the, we're the luckiest dumb dums there are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I don't know why. And, you know, it's, you know, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's weird. So you mentioned earlier about being in uh, the film Basketball. Yeah. I feel like that was a pretty major moment for Real Big Fish. And I, I kind of feel like that clip and, and uh, your cover of Take On Me has kind of carried on more significance than the film Basketball. I mean, I'm not like saying anything bad about it. I just mean, I don't know no. many people that will bring up Basketball in conversation as a film to, you know. It just hasn't, you know, it, I don't think it's really like the film's not very well, not really remembered much, but sure. like that seemed like a pretty significant thing for you guys. And it pr- pretty important part of your career, too. Yeah. I mean, we. I mean, that was that was it was such a weird experience. Um, and. I, yeah, I think even with that, like, I still have a hard time realizing, like, somebody goes, oh, you were the guys from Basketball. I was like, did you, uh, people saw that? <laughs> um, you know, um, and yeah, Take On Me has had this crazy uh, uh, life. I mean, we, we, we were doing Take On Me far before that. I think we wanted to put Take On Me on Why Do They Rock So Hard? And it didn't wind up happening for some reason. I mean, and we want, I mean, because was beer on Why Do They Rock So Hard? Is that what we put it no, on? No, no, beer's that on, on. It's on. Uh, it's on Turn, turn the Radio Off? Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, there was yeah. something. That, there were a few things that were supposed to go on Turn the Radio Off that were then going on, um, that then went on uh, uh, Why Do They Rock So Hard. We always wrote a lot. And so things would kind of go ahead of us. Um, but yeah, the um, but basketball uh, came out at a time when I want to say that South Park was at its oh com- yeah. commercial height. So mm-hmm. the fact that the South Park guys are making a movie was, I- I'm sure a million people, you know, millions and millions of people saw that movie. Yeah, because it was yeah. there was at a time where anything related to South Park was going to get people to watch it. Yeah, well, it was like. I mean, uh, you know, it was like, I feel like, uh, you know, that was like when the Boston's were in Clueless. Sure. You know, it was just like, it's, it's this thing where it's like, you know, something that captures, uh, the, the, the zeitgeist and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I guess we're, I I guess that's another, another aspect of who we are and what we do. And like, again, very strange, very strange, (laughs) uh, Cause we had, well, we had seen, we were at the recording studio making turn the radio off and we saw a copy of the spirit of Christmas before they had had their show. And it was just something that was making its rounds around the industry. And we were like, dude, we should get these guys to do a video for beer. And so like, cause we, you know, we were going to do beer was going to be wind up being a single. Um, and they were like, well, we're really busy right now getting the show going. And then we also have a movie. So maybe you guys would like to be in the movie. And we're like, uh, yeah, let us know. 
because they're like the name of the team is the beers and it sounds great. And maybe we can like kill two birds with one stone. But the thing that didn't wind up becoming a single was beer. And the thing that did wind up being the single from that was, yeah, take on me. Strangely enough. And beer still was never. a Was it a radio single? No, no. I mean, it gets plenty of attention. It's like a fan favorite, but it's not like a, a ra- radio hit, I think. No, it was. I mean, I, I've never been to a a, a, a a frat or sorority party that it wasn't played at. But um, not that I go to them now. Back then is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Anytime you'd walk into a frat, they're just playing beer by Real Big Fish. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, back then we did a lot of those things. Now I go to Illuminati parties, but you know, they don't play, <laughs> you know, they're playing other things at those. Um, it's the same people, just a different cult. Just a different exact Amundo. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it was, uh, uh, so that, that was always the funny thing is it's like we were planning on getting a single out of beer and we got a single out of, uh, yeah, take on me. So, and the, and then we were, we were playing, oh, back to that rock and ring, rock and park. We were playing that rock and park and, uh, aha was playing that rock and park. And we were like, dude, can we go and meet aha? And so we sent word to their people and they said they didn't want to meet us. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And we were like, okay, well there's that, I guess. You know, I mean, it's not like we got the publishing payments for that song. You know, it's like that must have been they must have done okay with the amount of spins that song got. Yeah, not. And it's not like I mean, that song spun well for them, too. And then we just added more spins, more money in their pocket. And this was before streaming. So they really got a a nice little chunk of change off of us. You would have think they would have been appreciative, but I guess. (laughs) Wow. You never know. You you can know, you know, you can't make everybody happy all the time, but you can sure piss a whole lot of people off all at once. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Scott's a dork. Yeah. I always assumed it was a joke about you, but no, it was just a, just a, a filler piece of filler. Now I read, I was reading as I was researching for this interview that, Someone on the internet, so this is not like a necessarily a great source, but someone on the internet said that Aaron wrote the song about Scott, the actor Scott Bearstow, who was his roommate for a while, and they were both dating the same girl. Any validity to your knowledge? None to my knowledge. <laughs> uh, I remember very clearly when Aaron came over and showed me the song, and we worked on it. Um, and it was... Uh, he came over to my parents' house. I was still living there at the moment. And uh, he's like, I got the song and I'm going to show you. And it goes like this. He's like, and then the, uh, but the chorus, it's not done. And uh, I hope you uh, enjoy my Aaron Barrett impression. Um, <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's subtle. Uh, and, and then he's like, so the chorus is Scott's a dork, but we'll change it. And I was like, okay. So we played it through a bunch of times and we worked on, you know, and I, I wrote my, my harmonies and stuff. And I think we wrote the horn line then too. And, um, but, uh, then, yeah. And it was just like, and then it's this, but Scott's a dork. I was like, okay. And he's like, I'll think of something else. I'll think of something else. And then there we are in the studio getting ready to, and I was like, 
did you ever wind up writing something else? He's like, no. I was like, okay. Well, there's that then. And it didn't, yeah, it did. I didn't mind. You know, I was like, ah, that's, it's sort of cute. About, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy and narcissistic. So I was like, hey, you know, it's, it's my name and it's, people are going to be singing it. And, you know, I don't disagree with the message. So, you know. I'm not necessarily not a dork. You know. How, how often do uh, fans or strangers or people on the street come and say this to you? Uh, well, on the, people on the street, n- never. Uh, <laughs> not, I mean, you know, not these days. Um, but I mean, it happens every now and then. You know, I spe- on my Twitch, people are like, "All oh, hey, yeah." And if they discover me, they're like, "Oh, are you the guy? Oh, Scott's a dork." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh yeah it's always kind of like a thing or people want to know is that about you and i'm like it's not not about me but it's not about me and they're like well what is that an answer and of course it isn't but um <laughs> you know i'm not here to ruin the mystique you know yeah, what i mean yeah it's again that's part of the real big fish lore oh of course yes we're so <laughs> mis- we're so gd mysterious that's one thing everybody always says real big fish those guys are mysterious um, they're the most mysterious clowns you've ever met in your entire life. How do they all fit inside that car? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, you, you guys had a um, DVD. Our live album is better than your live album. Mm-hmm. And there's a bonus segment where it's you and Aaron with an acoustic guitar. And yes. You guys are just fucking around for like 10 minutes. Yeah, there's a lot more of that footage too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, you know, we just enjoy each other's company legitimately. Like mm-hmm. um he, you know, he and I've been through a lot together. I mean, we we went through some, you know, um when I first joined the band, I really I mean, I looked up to him and I still do. I think I mean, Aaron, he's like a brother to me. And um and he gave me a lot of latitude as far as my participation in the band in a way that I don't think he gave it to anybody else. Um, and uh, we just kind of like our senses of humor complement each other. We both are students of, of comedy in the same way. And just after you, I mean, you just learn to, go do this thing. I mean, we, he and I loved comedy duos, Smothers Brothers, you know, um, you know, uh, L- 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 you know, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the being able to go back and forth and straight man, silly man. Uh, and so part of what we liked was the, ability to improv with one another um i think at times and i know this for myself for sure that it's like if if i didn't play good at least we were funny you know what i mean that was always the thing it's like we better have played good or we better have been funny because if we weren't either it was not a good show but uh yeah so it's like well we didn't sound very good but my god were we funny and funny to us I did, who knows if the crowd thought we were funny? Never knew that. Never understood. 
But I was just like, all, oh, man, we were funny. Well, I, I, have, I, we, I have actually spoken to some comedians who've said that the Scott and Aaron banter was like an influence on them growing up. Oh, wow. Which comedians? Now I want to know. Well, Brandy Posey, who's in also in the film, pick it up. She said this. Oh, yeah. Brandy's awesome. Brandy's great. It's interesting, too, because there are some uh, comedic actors that I've seen on like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and New Girl and some other things that actually are like Instagram followers of mine. Wow. And I've like reached out and said, hey, blah, blah. and it's like, it's so flattering because I think they're very funny. And they, I mean, they obviously they go and do stand up sets and what have you. And then they do a television stuff and they've, they've, you know, they get the gigs and, um, you know, yeah, it feels good to be like, again, it's like, well, we may not have been good musically, but if long, <laughs> as long as we were funny and if we were both, oh, Oof. we were on top of the world. So you, so yeah, I was kind of curious, you, you sort of touched on this, but so you, you weren't in Real Big Fish at the very beginning. Um, no. And so how, how did that evolve to where it became you and Aaron kind of doing this, having this exchange on stage? Like, was that something that happened quickly or did, over time, did you kind of throw in some jokes and eventually you sort of found the groove to where you guys had that sort of back and forth on stage? Yeah, I don't remember, to be honest with you, because if I remember correctly, um, for a long time, Aaron and I butted heads on stage all the time. Like, like huge fights where it's like... Like actually getting mad? Like, fuck you, I quit. And like leaving, <laughs> throwing, throwing mic stands at each other, throwing <laughs> guitars at me, throwing horns at him. Fucking like, fuck you. I mean, like full on batshit crazy fucking fighting. Uh, and everybody was just like, oh my God, these two guys. Do you remember what any of those fights were about? No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, it was probably... I, who know? I can't even begin to, I can't even begin. I think, I mean, so, so long, it was like Aaron had a picture of what he wanted real big fish to be. And then all of a sudden he has this insane person um, who just like, I, I think he said, Oh, if you want to sing some backups, but Matt Wong sings backups. And I was like, Oh, cool. But I just start doing whatever I want to do. Um, which, you know, Again, I was like seven, 16, 17 when I joined the band, so I, I don't know any better. Um, and, uh, and this is something Aaron and I actually just recently talked about with each other. He's like, Matt Wong was so mad when I asked you to join the band. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Matt, he's like, I don't think he ever forgave me. I was like, well, I know he never forgave me. Uh, but you know, I mean, just <laughs> Matt was, Matt's a sweetheart. Matt's a wonderful man. Um, but I'm, I, again, I admit I'm a lot. I am not. Like if you're Matt Wong, who is a very chill, very like mellow guy, and then you've got me who's, you know, it's just like duck, 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 all the time. And especially back then, I mean, I've mellowed in age, which is shocking, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, it's like all of a sudden, like I'm singing all these parts and I'm doing all this crazy stuff and I'm playing all these parts. And it's like, um, 
And then I would just, I don't know what, I think I would like talk over Aaron. So Aaron was like, I'm the guy, I got the thing, I want to talk. And then it would be me interjecting or me saying something. And he'd be like, shut up. <laughs> or I may, I'm guessing that's what it's got to be. Because it's most of the time what what it, the problem is with people have a problem with me. It's generally they want me to <laughs> shut up. Um, so, but I mean, like we would just fuck, I mean, so mad at each other. So mad. Uh, and then at a certain point, we just, I think it was when we were doing interviews. He, Aaron has never liked doing interviews necessarily. Like he's kind of uncomfortable in them. And so he started saying, come with me to do interviews. You don't shut up. So we might as well get something out of you. And we would just like go back and forth. And then he started liking doing this thing where, we he never gave useful information mm -hmm. in interviews and i was like oh i like that game and i have a pretty good random information generator in my head <laughs> um and so like i would just he would just like let me off the leash and i just like a like a dog who's never been trained to be outside just fucking everywhere and um and I mean, like for a long time, people hated doing interviews with us. Like <laughs> legitimately, people were like, I will never interview Real Big Fish again. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay. Um, and but then people like they got the joke, like, and we got better at it. So uh, and then like we incorporated Dan got good at it. And like, you know, everybody kind of had their own little thing that was a, able to participate in the thing, but it was like Aaron and I's back and forth was really like, just really got honed. And then like when it finally came on stage and like, there were just times where, I mean, and it was the, the fun part was to not break up. Right. Was to not like, was to try to crack each other up and not break. And so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I think that's how it came about is it's like Aaron was just like, oh, my God, if this guy's not going to shut up, maybe I'll get him to do interviews with me. And then he was like, oh, this is actually fun. <laughs> it became uh, it became you guys against the media. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so much of I mean, you know why anybody gets into using substances or drinking a ton is because there's so much downtime and you're so bored um, because you really are. I mean, you have a full day and. Um, and you, I mean, uh, well, and uh, if, if it was a, if it was a chill day, you only got to play an hour and a half. I mean, well, at that point we were doing two and a half hour shows, but, um, you were only doing one of those a day. And then the rest of the time you're like sitting around and, um, yeah, you had to figure out a way to make it fun. And so like goofing off with each other and like messing with the interviewer and then, you know, and then we're all avid readers too. So it was like, you take the weird thing that you're reading and you, you bring it into the interview, you know, and you start talking about the thing, you know, the thing that happened in Tangiers and everyone's like, Oh yeah, we can't talk about Tangiers. And the interviewer's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> because nobody, nobody did that with interviewers. Everybody took interviewing so seriously. And it's like, we are dumb dums. We're just these guys. We have nothing important to say or, or like we just, we're, we're, we don't understand that you're talking to us at all. 
Like, what are we going to say that's any different than any other band? Like, oh, we people came and we got it in a van and we play the songs and <laughs> p- stickers and we a shirt, you know. Um, so we were like, we've got to like stand out some way. And and again, that that thing that I said is is a real big fish uh, 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 mantra is it's like you can't make everybody happy all the time, but you can sure piss a heck of a lot of people off all at once. And so that was kind of our thing. It was like the fans were, 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 were sacred, but everybody else was fair game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like everything else was just, cause we expected the, the, the rug to get pulled out from under us at any second. Yeah. We were like, we're not good looking. We're not super smart. We're not sexy. We're just a bunch of ding doings, you know, playing the music that means a lot to us. And they're the, any minute somebody's going to be like, oh, not that real big fish. I meant sign the other that this real big fish, you know, and there's some other band we didn't know about. And it's like, oh, got it. You guys go back to working at Subway or whatever it is, you know. So we were like, might as well have fun while we're here. You were in the band until uh, I think 2011 is when you ended. Yeah, I left. uh, I left at the uh, the end of or the beginning of December of 2010. Yeah. So Real Big Fish was pretty nonstop touring machine, right? That entire time. Yeah. I mean, except again around Cheer Up. But we were. Yeah, we, we toured like crazy. I mean. We were anywhere from six to nine months out of the year for the most part from 90, probably starting in around 97, 96, 97. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. What was that like for you? I mean, that must have been, I'm sure there's fun aspects to it and stuff, but uh, it must have also been some tough parts about just having that schedule year after year after year uh i mean i think it's like anything you get used to what is normal you know um while i i think what we got to do was very special and very unique and and it's and when you get when you meet other people who have had the experience of touring like we toured um it's a very special bond uh but again like it was also just a it was part of my job it was the norm of my life that had been that way since my late teens and so i i don't know that i ever really gave it much thought of being different which was why when I left, um, it was that was like, what's this whole deal all about? What do regular what what do other people do? You know, you mean they sleep in the same bed every you get your clothes from a drawer, you say, <laughs> not from a duffel bag. Well, that is novel. Huh. Oh, you have a full sized can container of shampoo because you don't need to bring it with you from hotel to hotel wow (laughs) fancy you know oh you buy groceries for two weeks instead of just four or five days at a time all right okay i see i see your game (laughs) um but yeah i mean 
yeah, touring's not made for everybody. Or let me rephrase that. Not everybody's made for touring. Um, and and I watched some people go crazy. You know, it's it can be very destabilizing. Um, but I, 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 again, I don't believe in stability or security. So it was just kind of like, this is, this is this. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything can be routine. Sure. As yeah. long as you do it long enough. You know, we're on a tour bus. I wake up at this time. I, you know, I have a, a morning routine that I follow. I, you know, you go try to find, if you're at the venue, you try to find a place to poop. Um, you know, you find where you're going to eat, you, you know, brush your teeth, you drink, make a pot of coffee, just everything becomes very routine. And especially when you've been in a lot of these cities so many times, you're like, I know where the bookstores are. I know where the record stores are. I know where the music shops are. I have friends in this town. All of that stuff. So that also becomes routine. Um, it was always fun when we got to go to a new city or a new country. And that kind of stuff was like amazing because it was, you felt really uh, displaced. You know, um, even if you've been to Europe, if you go to a new place in Europe, you're like, oh, I don't know where to go get coffee. I don't know where all of these you know, um, uh, uh, places are. And so it can be very, very exciting and very neat. Uh, I remember I'll never forget going to Russia for the first couple times was always exciting because it was very different than Western Europe. You know, what was Russia like? Russia was, well, the first time we went to Russia, we played in Moscow and the crowd was so insane. Um, and it was big, big crowd and insane. It was just like, what? Um, and we stayed in this thing called a skull, a Stalin scraper. It's a, you can actually see it. It's like, it's this gigantic, it's a Hilton. It's a Hilton hotel. Um, they had lost, uh, Dan and I's luggage. So Dan and I roomed together. So they put us in this hotel room and we just stayed in the hotel room because we had no clean clothes and we had been flying for, I think we would have been flying for like 32 hours um, to get to uh, Moscow. And uh, so we stayed in this hotel and read and like goofed off and they had the biggest bathtub I have ever seen in my life. Like I'm not, super tall, but I'm a six foot man. And I could lay down completely in the bathtub and put my hands above my head. It was big. (laughs) And then they had a shower in the the bathroom itself was actually almost bigger than the hotel room, (laughs) but it was this really super nice place. But then there's things like you, we, they took us out to eat and they took us to this place. That's like this little, artist commune but you had to go through this one shop and down these steps and through a kitchen and th- and it's like it's this secret place that they used to have like uh 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 uh, uh secret meetings 
for like people hiding. And it, it was it was crazy. And the the ceilings are very low and you you can't even stand up straight and you sit down and the everyone's talking in Russian, which if you're not uh immersed ever in a like you go to Italy and you hear people speaking Italian. You you're used to hearing these things, but you the first time you go to a place and everybody but you is speaking Russian, you're it's it's a different vibe. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh we we were like, I don't even know how to order because nothing uses everything's using Cyrillic alphabet. Like you can't even I, I don't know what any of this is. And you just kind of point at something and hope. Um, (laughs) And I remember I got this like omelet thing, which was like egg, like an omelet, but inside the omelet was some sort of cheese and a full steak, (laughs) like a whole steak (laughs) inside of an omelet, like not cut up just the steak. And I was like, cool. Uh, You know, and then you have like real borscht, uh, which was cool, but um, you know, and then they're like, I don't, I don't drink anymore, and so they're like, you know, trying to give me beer or you know, uh, vodka or what have you, and I'm like, just, I don't even know how to say like water with gas, like it's like, how do you say that in in Russian? Um, where it's like again, I pretty much know how to you know get around in most places, but uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was really cool, really uh. I mean, there's parts of it that are really beautiful, you know, and there are parts of it that are not. And uh, the people are 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 really great and kind and generous and beautiful, uh, you know, but it's stuff like we went to the second time we went to Russia, we went to we started in St. Petersburg, right, which is like this is the more artistic, artsy, like capital of Russia. And we fly in and it's like mid January and that's when they have their Christmas, right? They have an Orthodox Christmas and we come in and it's, we have this great time. We play the show. It's super awesome. And then after the show, we grab all our stuff and we're getting ready to take a. It's so romantic. We're taking a midnight train from St. Petersburg to Moscow, midnight train to St. Petersburg or Moscow, you know, <laughs> expecting to see Humphrey Bogart in the Maltese file. It's just so, so romantic. And we're so stoked. We're like, dude, how cool is this? And then the cute girl who like is showing us around, she comes up, she goes, um, so, you know, last weekend, this train blown up by Chechnyan. So this weekend, no problem. and we looked at her and we're like um i'm sorry uh uh, maybe it's the you said last week this this train line the midnight train from saint petersburg to moscow was uh uh, blown up by chechnians but it's okay because they won't do that again this weekend and she's like yes they they will not do that again this weekend i was like well i'm I'm glad they 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 keep a schedule. Um but it's like and then nobody like we had sleeper cars and nobody slept because you're just like oh my god. And and which you know I mean we had experienced a little bit of that sort of thing in the UK. Like I remember we were once in London and there was a some there was a bomb that went off in a um 
a, a, a rubbish bin somewhere in like a public square and some people were injured. And so, you know, that kind of thing happens, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, and this kind of thing happens now more in the U.S. than it used to, especially back then. I mean, this was, you know, uh, 13 years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. I feel like. Um, And so you kind of go, oh, different world. Very different world. But the people are so warm and so kind and like they just want to they just want to have a great time and get down with the music and and, you know, say hi and shake your hand and, you know, have a drink with you. And and, um, yeah, but culturally, it's a little it's a little on the different side, which is neat. Because mm-hmm. it breaks it up. You're like, oh, cool. We're going. Like, I was, I got sick and I was really bummed because uh, the band went to Dubai and I didn't get a chance to go because I, I came down with a neurological syndrome um, that had me paralyzed. But everybody was like, dude, it was like the coolest experience because it was so different um, in something that you're so used to doing with such regularity um, and predictability. Mm-hmm. So things like going to Dubai or like when our bus almost uh, or when our bus did blow up and we were almost inside it, that kind of thing, like keeps things interesting. (laughs) All right. So what's the story here? So we were on our bus uh, and we were heading to Columbus, Ohio, I think. And uh, and the generator on the bus caught fire and we had been stopped. So that our driver could eat some eat uh, 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 chicken fried steak. Uh, I remember what he was eating because he told me. And so we're all snug in our beds. And then the generator shuts off, which we all kind of wake up. But like we kind of go back to sleep. And then all of a sudden we hear um, we had pneumatic doors on the bus. But I guess the fire had melted the tubes for the pneumatic system. And so our driver couldn't get the door to the, the, um, the bunk area open. So we had to smash the door down, which woke us all up. (laughs) And then he goes, uh, Hey Tom, who was our tour manager at the time. Hey Tom, uh, you might want to get the guys up. Uh, the, uh, the bus is on fire. (laughs) And so we all go, what? Uh, and, I like, I was that night. Luckily I had fallen asleep. No, I didn't. No, I did. Did I? I can't remember. It's a little hot phase, but some of us did. I think I fell asleep in my pants that night. Um, but not everybody was that lucky. I did not have socks on. So we like run off the bus. Um, and I had grabbed my phone on the way out, but, uh, we we got off the bus and then a minute later the whole thing burst into flames and like the windows shot out and all sorts of stuff. I mean, and we lost like a bunch of cash. Um, we lost a bunch of clothes, uh, merch, all sorts of stuff. Uh, luckily the instruments were okay because they were all in the trailer, but we just we lost everything. Damn. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty scary. And then, so, but everybody at the truck stop was so nice. They all pitched in and bought us like, like sweatshirts and socks and stuff like that. Cause we're all sitting on this curb, like freezing, 
because it was cold. And then everybody bought us like, yeah, socks and shirts. And like, it was really, really nice. And then the venue, we were like an hour away from the venue. And so I can't remember if it was the other bands we were playing with or somebody from the venue came and picked us up and just did a bunch of back and forths with us and the, and the gear. And we played the show and yeah, I mean, we had to figure out how to, you know, uh, get new clothes and yeah. So it was a real bummer. That's so crazy that in that situation, like you just kind of have to keep soldiering forward. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing we could have done. And I mean, like, and then we were like at, at a bar, um, that night after the show waiting for a new bus to come. And, uh, and on CNN, it was on the ticker tape thing, (laughs) you know, popular ska band, real big fish almost (laughs) dies in bus fire. You know, like it was this whole thing. It was like, uh okay you know that's weird and then all of a sudden like yeah like families calling and all sorts of stuff and like my phone's low on batteries so i got to get a new charger and it was just it was insane that i think that 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 proves that you're famous my uh my brief stint with cnn yeah yes (laughs) They, they wouldn't put anybody on that ticker tape that wasn't famous no it's true it's true i think we actually were on cnn once we were on some news show. What for? I don't recall. I remember being on a at a television studio in New York on like some not on the ground floor. So I know it wasn't the Today Show, um, but uh, yeah, and they had us sitting there talking about something. Uh, I know I was not in my right mind at the time. Let's just say so. That uh, that's that it's it's i know it happened i don't know what happened that's about as that's about as good as that memory can be <laughs> yeah all right well you at least you were there yeah 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 what well, that was the same so aaron and i at a certain point were we had to fly back and forth to new york a lot uh during the tour so we would fly to new york we would be in new york do a bunch of press then fly to wherever the band was then fly back to new york to do more press the next day then fly back to where the band was and so that was we did like 120 minutes and uh, then some news stuff and some vh1 stuff and stuff like that yeah it was a lot of fun Mm -hmm. but yeah you know when you nearly die in a bus explosion i guess uh you know you know, it's a good story anyway. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to In Defensive Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at in Defensive Ska. Pick up Aaron's book, In Defensive Ska, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leaving you by saying Ska now more than ever. Bet 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ... How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.